I grew up in a tradition that observes uh, Ash Wednesday and Lent. In my family, we would um, we would be required to uh, to give something up, and so that was the the rule during throughout the Lent. We we had to give something up, but we knew the rules, which were that Lent didn't happen on Sundays. That from midnight on Saturday, and we would stay up until until uh, midnight Sunday. It was not officially Lent, so we knew all the rules and all the exceptions. So we knew about Lent. We also knew about Ash Wednesday. And Ash Wednesday, in my family, we had to fast uh, during uh, the Ash, Ash, Wednesday, um, Ash Wednesday observance. But fasting simply meant no snacks in between meals. So it wasn't all that bad. And I've been thinking a lot about fasting. Um, and some of you may have been fasting today. Maybe you're fasting right now. And if you are, I need to give you a warning in advance so you won't be triggered later on. Um, I will be talking about pizza during this... Um, <laughs> During this message, so um, so uh, it's been about two years since I had pizza. Um, I might have slipped up somewhere along the way, but for two years I've been on a low carb, high fat diet or um, healthy fat diet (LCHF). You see, keto people talk about this, and I'm happy with the results. Um, but it's not the it's not the uh, diet that your doctor would recommend, and that's okay because I am not your doctor, and this does not constitute medical advice. You know, see this, you know, the little, uh, uh, fine print at the bottom of the screen. Um, I'm not trying to tell you what to do as a doctor, but, but it's been working for me. And as a result of that, it's made me more open to, uh, what other people have had to say about kind of, uh, unconventional nutrition, um, uh, 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 ideas. And so, uh, lately, for the last couple of months, I've been hearing about something called, uh, intermittent fasting. I don't know how many of you have heard of, Intermittent fasting, so um, it's got some currency right now. But the idea is that you 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 can fast um, on a daily basis by simply cramming all of your meals into a short window of time. So maybe it's ten hours, maybe it's eight hours. But the idea is instead of eating all day long, you know, they used to tell us we should graze all day long, and now they're telling us, um, no, actually compress your eating into the the smallest window of time you can, and that that's a good thing. It's been proven to have all kinds of great health benefit. Uh, Benefits for rats, and the the big question is, will it work for people? So they're they're in the process of figuring that out. But a lot of people find that that it seems to be working for them. So I've been interested in that. Um, there's a there's a doctor I listen to. He's got a, a podcast, and he's a, he's a big faster. He doesn't just intermittently fast. He only has one meal a day, um, but he says it, it's it's a huge meal. Uh, but but it's just the one. And he says that uh, in, in addition to that, he fasts uh, real honest-to-goodness fasting one day a week. And then a couple of times a year, he'll fast for two or three days. And then once a year, he'll fast for like seven or ten days. So a huge fast with nothing but water and mineral supplements. So, so he's really into fasting. And I've been thinking about fasting that way. Um, but I have to confess, I haven't been thinking about fasting the way that Jesus seems to envision it when he when he gives us instructions about fasting in um, uh, Matthew 6 or other places. Uh, there is this idea of fasting to please God, and then there's the fasting that we do. And um, sometimes we have mixed motives. If we're, if we're fasting, maybe, um, um, you know, in the case of, if, if, I, if, I, if I ever get up the nerve 
to do the intermittent fasting on, on a regular basis or even a fast one day a week or something like that. If I ever do that, then um, there could be good reasons for me to do that and there could be bad reasons. A, a good reason might be I want to honor God with my body. We're directed to do that in the epistles, so why why wouldn't I want to do that? That's something I could say this is this body is a gift from God and I can honor God by uh, by doing things that make it healthier. So that would be an example of a good a good um, cause. Uh, a, a bad reason to to try and get fit and healthy would be so that I could get even with the the bully who kicked sand in my face. Some of you remember the old uh, comic strips that that had the Charles Atlas ad, and and you know the the hero wants to get strong just so he can get even with the bully. That would be an example of a bad, not very Christian thing to do. So um, so there's different reasons, and in the same way, maybe some of you are thinking about what you're going to do during Lent as some kind of an observance. Maybe you're thinking about a diet. Maybe you're thinking about you know you know cutting out an expense. You know that that I've been spending money in this way and maybe I shouldn't. Um, and uh, so again, there's good reasons and there's there's less good reasons for doing these things. You you could you could diet for the same reason. You could cut out that expense because you want to relieve some of the financial strain in your in your uh, family, and you think that that would be a good thing. If we if we cut out this unnecessary expense, that would be a good thing. But maybe what you're thinking is, and then at the end of Lent, I'll I'll take all that money I saved and I'll buy myself something to make up for all the pain I went through. And I would say that kind of defeats the purpose of fasting. If you're, if you're already figuring out, I'm just going to move all my, uh, my, uh, pleasure off to one spot and it'll be bigger. So, so that would be an example of something I, I would think would not be kind of within the spirit of the fasting that we're talking about. And in our reading tonight, we see that this is not a new problem. We see that people have, as far back as there has been fasting among the people of God, there have been fasting for the wrong reasons. And so um, in, in our lesson tonight, um, uh, the prophet Isaiah uh, is the means whereby God speaks to the people and says, you're fasting for the wrong reasons. There's good reasons and bad reasons to fast, and you're fasting for the wrong reasons. So in our in our reading tonight, um, uh, the the reading begins with this instruction from God to Isaiah. He says, um, "Shout with the voice of a trumpet blast! Shout aloud! Don't be timid! Tell my people Israel of their sins." So he begins by saying, "You're a prophet. Do your job, uh, and, and and don't just kind of you know make this a, a, a soft message that that kind of is easy to ignore." He says, "Shout aloud!" He says, "Make sure that they are aware of their sins. Don't be timid." And why does he have to be so so obnoxious about giving this message? And the reason is because the people think that they're doing what God wants. They think that they're so holy. He says, he says, um, yet they act so pious. You know, butter would not melt in their mouth. They just think that they're the best Christians ever, or in this case, the best Jews. Um, they, they think that they're doing exactly what God wants. It says, um, they come to temple every day and they seem delighted to learn all about me. They act like a righteous nation that would never abandon the laws of its God. So there's a, there's a, there's a gap here. They think they're doing what God wants and God is saying they are sinning. And so, so why is that? Well, the reason seems to be, uh, uh, we, we get it in verse, um, uh, the second part of verse uh, two, uh, the the people are saying, um, uh, God says they, the people, um, ask me to take action on their behalf, pretending they want to be near me. They have something that they want from God. Uh, and what seems to be inside is that there seems to be some kind of a crisis. Maybe the crisis is... is um, is uh, an invader has threatened the land that somebody has invaded the 
the the land and they're you know wrecking havoc on people. We don't know exactly what the crisis is. It could be an invasion from a neighboring country, or it could be um, a, a famine or a plague of some kind. Um, I was reading the news about a plague of locusts that's going on in eastern Africa right now. So it could be that sort of thing. We see that sort of thing in the, the scriptures. Joel talks about this plague of locusts. So, so maybe that's the thing. But whatever it is, they have decided, well, let's have a fast. Let's all of us get together. We'll put on burlap and, and ashes, um, and we will fast, and then God will have to take care of this problem for us. So it says, they asked me to take action on their behalf, pretending they want to be near me. And uh, they say, we have fasted before you. They say, why aren't you impressed? We have been very hard on ourselves, and you don't even notice it. You haven't carried out your part of the deal, the deal we made with you in our heads, which was that if if I fast, if I put on burlap and ashes, then you owe me relief from this problem, whatever the problem is, a, an invader or a famine or something like that, that they think God um, owes them. And God responds, here's why I haven't done what you think I am supposed to do. I will tell you why, he says. Um, it is because you're fasting to please yourself. Even while you fast, you keep oppressing your workers. What good is fasting when you keep on fighting and quarreling? This kind of fasting will never get you anywhere with me. You humble yourself by going through the motions of penance, bowing your heads like reeds bending in the wind. You dress in burlap and cover yourself with ashes. Is this what you call fasting? Do you really think this will please the Lord? They say, but we're doing it right. We're doing, we're checking off all the boxes. And God is saying, yeah, but the reason that I am allowing you to be plagued by whatever this problem is, is because you have, you have sinned. You have, uh, uh, you have oppressed your workers. You have, you have done these various things. You quarrel, you fight. Um, and, and you don't understand that the solution to that, you know, the reason that God is, is chastising them with, with the plague or whatever it was. We, we don't know what the crisis was, but we do know all through the Hebrew scriptures, we see God is some, sometimes just God says, all right, let's see what happens when you do it your way. And God says, all right, I'm going to step back and, and watch what happens. And so then the neighbor invades or something like that because they've said, we don't want to do it your way. And so God is saying, okay, well, the solution is not to fast. The solution is to do what you should have done all along. You shouldn't have oppressed your workers. Uh, sometimes it's a it's a positive thing. Sometimes it's a negative thing. He goes on and talks. Um, he says, he says, what kind of fast does he want? He says, this is the kind of fasting I want. Free those who are wrongly imprisoned. Lighten the burden of those who work for you. Let the oppressed go free and remove the chains that bind people. So these are examples of justice issues. There's been injustice and you've closed your eyes to it. You haven't done anything about it. And since you have not been dealing with the issues of, of justice, I've said, okay, have a plague of locusts or something like that. See how that, see how you like it. Something, something along those lines. Again, we don't know what the crisis was, but God is saying that you are, you're thinking I can, I can solve this problem, but you're not paying attention to why I let the problem happen in the first place. So there's these justice issues, free those who are wrongly imprisoned and so forth. There's also mercy issues. Share your food with the hungry. Give shelter to the homeless. Give clothes to those 
who need them. Do not hide from relatives who need your help. So God is saying that the way to, the way to win me over, the way to, the way to show me that you care about the same things I care about is by caring about them, not by fasting, not by checking off boxes on some religious form that says, you know, we fasted, we got the burlap, we got the ashes. He says, the way you do it is by dealing with these issues of justice and mercy. And I don't think that this should be a problem for us. Um, I'm assuming that nobody here is consciously oppressing their workers. And may, maybe I'm wrong, but let's assume that for, you know if you are, you know, repent of it. Stop doing that. You know, that's straight out of the Bible. Stop doing that. Um, but I think more often than not. In, in our culture today, what we do is we're indifferent. We are, we're not consciously oppressing people, but we're indifferent. We've got our priorities and we really don't care as much about how those land on other people. You know, and, and I was trying to think of some examples of this, um, but the nature of it is, is that there are things we don't think about. You know, I may be perfectly content with my neighborhood and then the, the city council decides, the muni council decides to to implement some new policy that's going to affect my property values. And I say, well, NIMBY, not in my backyard. And so, um, so what happens is now, you know, the treatment center is somewhere else or, or the, the relief that people need is somewhere else or the property values become unaffordable for people in my neighborhood. And so it's not that I wish them any ill. I'm not consciously oppressing them, but now they have to drive in from the valley to go to work. And it's like, well, that's not my problem, you know, that's their problem. And so I think oftentimes it's not that we are consciously oppressing, it's that we are indifferent to the suffering of other people. So um, so that's something we should be thinking about. What are the places where where we have been indifferent to other people's suffering and what might we be um, uh, able to do to help with that? But I, I think there's also something here where I can say, uh, I think this church does very well, at least for its size. You know, I think we are in some ways fighting out of our weight um, class. Um, when I think about the number of people here who volunteer for the mobile food pantry, who um, volunteer um, when we when we do something at the Brother Francis shelter, I think that this church actually does seek very well to um, to share our food with the hungry and so forth. Um, I got a text the other day from somebody who was volunteering at the Lutheran Social Services food bank in Spinard. So I think that this church does a good job of that. And if you haven't been a part of one of those things, let me encourage you to try volunteering for something like that. One of my own goals, and, and I was hoping we could do it this, this uh, past winter, and I just didn't, didn't find the time for it. I didn't make it the priority I should have. Um, but I'm, there's still some winter left. One of the things I want to do is I want to volunteer in the emergency cold weather shelter up at First Methodist. And so I'm hoping to do that uh, once March uh, comes around and I'm done with some other things that are in my way. I see some people from Presbytery here tonight. So um, so there's things that are kind of going to be busy for me on Thursday. But um, it's been a goal, and I'm disappointed with myself for not doing more. But these are the sorts of things I think this church does does pretty well, is to help people um, channel their energies into these uh, mission um, uh, um Ministries of mercy. So, um, so uh, God says to to do these things to share your your um, your uh, uh, food with the hungry, give clothes to those who need them, and so forth. So God says that. But um, but what does this have to do with fasting? 
You know, I think if, if somebody says, hey, we're coming into the season of fasting, and then God says, don't be a jerk, right? Well, okay, but, but what's the connection between fasting and what we read about here? I mean, it's actually been the opposite, right? God's been saying, I'm not interested in your fast. The, the things you're fasting about, I'm not going to, I'm not going to be impressed by. So what is fasting about? I think that is part of the lesson here. I think part of the idea in this passage is that God is not really excited about us being miserable. You know, Jesus says he came to give us an abundant life. That, that God did not say, I want you to fast periodically just because I like to see you miserable from time to time. That's not, that's not what God is, is encouraging people to fast about. Um, if you, if you look at the law, and I know a lot of us, um, read the book of Leviticus almost as much as we enjoy Romans 8. Um, if, if you read the book of Leviticus, you, you see God's original intention for the sacrificial system. And in it, God says, I want you to fast nationwide, wall-to-wall fast, one day every year. And I want you to have feasts for about two and a half weeks every year. So there's 15 days, 16 days of mandatory feasting and one day of fasting. And I think that's the ratio that God's pretty happy with. I think that illustrates what God's intentions are. God does not want us to be miserable. So why do we fast? What's the reason for that one day of the year when we do fast? Why is that? Well, the reason is because God wants us to carve out some space for him to fill. God wants us to make some room in our life so that he can give us something better than what we already have. And the only way we can find out what that is is by actually leaving that space empty so that then God can fill it. He says, he promises here, he says, if you do these things, if you do the kind of fasting that I like, God makes these promises. He says, Then your salvation will come like the dawn, and your wounds will quickly heal. Your goodness, your your godliness will will lead you forward, and the glory of the Lord will protect you from behind. Then when you call, the Lord will answer. Yes, I am here, he will quickly reply. This this language here, he says, he says the salvation will come like the dawn, as inevitably as the dawn. You know, it's going to happen. There's nothing you can do to stop it. Your wounds will quickly heal. Your godliness will lead you forward, and the glory of the Lord will protect you from behind. God is using the same language that's used to describe the Exodus. God says, that's what will happen, that I will be with you like the cloud of uh, fire and uh, the, 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 the pillar of cloud and fire. He says, um, when you call, the Lord will answer. Yes, I am here, he will quickly reply. This is the language of a servant. This is the language that, that Samuel uh, keeps saying every time he has his dream when he's a when he's newly apprenticed to Eli. He he keeps having this this uh, he keeps hearing the sound um, uh, um, Samuel Samuel and he keeps getting up and saying here I am to Eli. That's the language of a servant. God says I will be at your beck and call. I will come when you whistle. That's an amazing statement that God makes. That's and and it's part of this promise. He says if you do these things, then I will do these things. He says. Remove the heavy yoke of oppression. Stop pointing your vic- vic- finger and spreading vicious rumors. That's, that's the negative. Stop doing the, 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 the bad things and do the, do the good things. Feed the hungry and help those in trouble. Then your light will shine out from the darkness and the darkness around you will be as bright as noon. The Lord will guide you continually giving you water when you're dry and restoring your strength. 
You'll be like a well-watered garden, like an ever-flowing spring. He says that not only will you have the blessing that I give you, but it will overflow. He says you will be restored. Um, he says the light will shine out from the darkness. Um, if you were here this past Sunday, we talked about the way uh, our, our role as, as Christians is to reflect the, the light of God in the world. He says that light will shine out from the darkness, and the darkness around you will be as bright as noon. And the Lord will give you water, the water you need. He'll refresh you. But more than that, you'll be like a well-watered garden. Think of a think of a garden in order to produce the the fruit that could then bless a community, a, a, a farm patch for a village or something like that. You you need to irrigate it, and God says you'll not just have enough water for yourself. You'll have enough water to irrigate an entire field full of plants, so that a village could could uh, be be blessed by you. He says some of you will even rebuild the deserted ruins of your cities, and then you'll be known as the the rebuilder of walls and a restorer of home. So God says, if you do what I ask, if you fast from the, the injustice and from the mercilessness, then I will do these things for you. I said I was going to talk about pizza. Years ago, before I gave up pizza, in fact, many years before that, when we lived in Colorado, my favorite restaurant was a place called Woody's Wood-Fired Pizza. And it was it was awesome. And um, they would they would bring out pizzas continually, and you could go up to the little pizza bar and get whatever kind you wanted. They they were perpetually bringing out new types of pizza, and you could look at it and say, "Ooh, that looks good," and I'll get one of those, and I'll take two of these, right? And you go back to your table, gobble them up, and then come back for more. And that was kind of the idea. They did have some healthy food. They had some some um, salad. They also had they had a salad bar. They also had a um, uh, the best beer cheese soup, which is health food. In my light, so um, so uh, they they had this food, but but you know back in those days I, I went there for the pizza, and there's a, there's a when you're at a buffet like that, you get up to the buffet and the pizza there does not look very appetizing. It's got you know green olives and pineapples, and you know maybe some people there like green apples, uh, uh, green green olives and pineapples on a pizza. But that sounds revolting to me, and I'll never know if it's any good because I'm never going to try eating it. But if you wait, if you just say, you know what, I'm not going to have that. The goal here is not to gobble everything that comes out of the kitchen. The goal here is to wait and see what comes up. And the next thing, it may be something, oh, that's my favorite. Or it could be something like, that looks weird. I've never seen a pizza like that. Boy, I'm going to try some of that. Or maybe it's even just something where it's like the old familiar. You know, it's the it's the basic pizza. But by now you're hungry because you've watched two or three others go by and you're saying, okay, I'm going to try that and I'll enjoy it more. I think that's the idea of fasting. The idea of fasting is not to be miserable, but to say, I'm going to leave some space so that instead of having something that is that I won't appreciate as much, I'm going to leave some space for God to bless me. And the promise here. The promise here is that God will not only bless us when we fast in a way that he approves of, but more than that, he will bless the people around us, that the blessing will overflow around us. And so we will be a blessing not just to ourselves, but to others. So, in my tradition when I was growing up, my family's tradition, um, Fasting was not an option. It was something we were required to do. My parents were required to do it, and that meant the kids were required to do it. But in our tradition, there is no requirement to fast. 
There is no requirement to give something up for Lent. But if you decide to give something up for Lent, that certainly is is not a bad idea. But if you give up something for Lent, let it be indifference. Let it be injustice. Let it be unmercifulness. And if you clear a space, if you leave a little room for God to act, the promise he makes here is that he will always fill it with something better than what you left out. So give something up for Lent and let God fill it. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we give you thanks that nothing is a law for us except the law of love. That Jesus came and fulfilled the the 613 commandments that deal with the intricacies of fasting. But Lord, we know that we are sinners who need a Savior. And as we enter into this time of Lenten observance, Lord, help us to turn our heads and our hearts to the Savior that you gave us, not because we deserve one, but because you are a loving God. And in the light of that knowledge, Lord, help us to find new strength and new resolve to be like Jesus, to give up what we do not need so that you can fill us with something that not only fills us, but overflows to the people around us. We pray this through Christ our Lord. Amen.